This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat and Southland District with your Extension Crop Report. Depending on when you hear this report, it's going to get very cold this week, or it got very cold last week. Temperatures in the single digits is nothing out of the norm for Kansas, but the question is, will our before now mild winter reduce the winter hardiness of the wheat? And what about the wheat farther north where it's likely going to get well below zero? Let's take a detailed look at just how wheat and other grasses like fescue survive the cold. Wheat will start to prepare itself for winter whenever soil temperatures get below 50 degrees at the crown depth and it takes around 6 weeks between 32 and 50 degrees before the wheat is fully prepared. During this time, wheat creates a type of antifreeze protein and this year it has plenty of time in that temperature range to be fully prepared. Wheat roots continue to grow any time the ground is not frozen, and around here that usually means all winter. Even at the least turn brown, the wheat is still fully winter prepared and expanding roots. If the crown starts to get above 50 degrees Fahrenheit for a few days, it will come out of winter dormancy. According to Kansas Mesonet, we've had some warmer than usual soil temperatures, but nothing that would contribute to a loss of winter survivability. However, that survivability is assuming the wheat plants had a good supply of energy hinted at by 4-5 to five leaves and 1-2 to two tillers before going into winter. So, how cold does it need to get before it won't survive? Very, very cold. The minimal temperatures depend on the length of time at those temperatures. At negative 10 degrees, the wheat can survive up to a day. At 5 degrees, the wheat can survive up to a week. And this is the soil temperature at crown depth. If the air temperatures get to negative, a proper depth crown of 1 inch will be more protected, especially if there is snow cover. Soil moisture also helps regulate soil temperature, as it takes a lot more energy transfer to change the temperature of water. Most wheat at risk of winter kill and midwinter are those who weren't planted deep enough and the crown is near the soil surface. Generally, our risk of cold damage comes later, with an unfortunately timed spring cold snap. It's unlikely we are going to see any winter kill in this area, but if we do, wheat that greens up in the spring might be deceiving. If the wheat was severely damaged but not killed, it can green up and then slowly die because the vascular tissues were damaged. The nutrients in the plant will allow it to green up, but the nutrients from the roots can't move up. This slow death is actually more common than outright winter kill. Late winter bitter cold snaps are hard on cattle and some non-native plant species. But usually, the wheat is just fine, as long as it was fully developed and prepared going into winter. If you have any questions about crop or soil-related issues, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. This is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Good animal husbandry, managing pig housing and heat loss can reduce the impact of cold stress on swine herd performance. Pigs have a small range of temperatures that allow them to optimally prioritize nutrients for growth or reproduction. Temperatures that fall outside of this range results in some form of stress. Pigs housed in temperatures that are persistently lower than this range experience reduced feed efficiency, stunted growth rates, or weight loss. Young pigs that grow slowly 
will continue to physiologically mature, but not maximize muscle growth before maturing to stages of fat accumulation. Cold pigs are high maintenance. Even when mature, they require more feed to maintain heat production and body condition. How much feed does it take to maintain body weight in cold temperatures? Depending on age and size, outside temperatures and weather conditions, you may need to triple the daily feed allowance. However, simply increasing the feed amount is not enough to compensate for lowering temperatures. Feed energy levels, calories, must be increased since pigs are limited in their ability to eat massive amounts daily. Essentially, when temperatures are too cold for several days, pigs will have a negative energy balance that cannot be corrected with feed alone. There are a number of things you can do to prevent cold stress. Offer shelter from precipitation and dampness, as humidity will pull heat from the animals in low temperatures. All efforts should be made to provide pigs with a dry bedding area. Provide windbreaks and shelters from drafts. Be sure that your windbreaks do not allow air to draft around the space at pig level. Insulate the pig area. This can take on a variety of forms from bedding to insulated walls and ceilings. The idea is to capture as much of the pig's heat as possible while still allowing air exchange. Strive to keep ambient temperatures within the thermo-neutral zone of the pig for age and body size. For suckling and young growing pigs, this is particularly important as they are very lean at birth and don't develop fat stores until maturity. This lack of fat prevents them from having energy reserves to burn for maintaining body heat. A temperature around 85 degrees Fahrenheit for pre-weaning pigs is about where you want to be. For finishing pigs around 200 pounds, 50 to 60 degrees is about right. For a sow that is raising a litter, you're looking for a temperature around 55 to 65 degrees. You'll also help yourself by keeping mature pigs in good body condition. Maintaining a healthy fat cover on pigs six months or older can act as both an insulator and additional energy reserves for creating body heat. For more information on managing your pig's environment, meeting their needs, and keeping your costs in check, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, natural resource and diversified ag agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the agriculture and natural resource agents from the Hayes State Research and Extension Wildcat District, serving Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson counties with your Hayes State Research and Extension report. If you are looking into what type of animals you could raise if you have a limited amount of acres, you may have considered raising rabbits, or more specifically, meat rabbits as an option. Raising rabbits is fairly easy and the cost to start raising them is relatively low. If you are considering raising meat rabbits, you will first want to determine your goals. Will you be raising rabbits only for your family's consumption or do you also want to sell rabbits? How many rabbits will you be able to care for? And how many litters do you want to have a year? After you have determined the goals and answered these questions and are ready to buy rabbits, you will need to know what characteristics determine a good rabbit and which breed of rabbit you will want to raise. There are three main characteristics to consider 
when determining if the rabbit has good conformation and will fit your needs. First, they need to grow quickly and efficiently. Second, they need to be good mothers. Third, and lastly, they need to have a good meat-to-bone ratio and grow to the ideal size. Typically, rabbits raised for meat should weigh between 9 and 12 pounds when grown. The two breeds most commonly raised for meat production are the Californian and the New Zealand White. However, there are many other breeds of rabbits that can be raised for meat as well. When figuring out what type of hutch to have for your rabbits, make sure you will be able to clean the hutch easily and that the hutch can be placed in an area where it will be out of direct sunlight in the summer to stay cooler, but also out of the direct wind to stay warmer during the winter. If you are building your own hutch, it is important to note that when constructing your growing cages, be sure the holes in the wire covering the floor are not too large, as the baby's rabbit's feet may fall through and become stuck or even broken if the holes in the wire are too large. The ideal wire to use would be half-inch mesh, 19-gauge galvanized hardware cloth. Once you have the type of rabbit you are going to raise and where you will house the rabbit figured out, the next step is to decide what you will feed your rabbits. Feeding rabbits can be very cost-effective or expensive depending on what you choose to feed your rabbits. In addition to feeding rabbits a commercial rabbit feed, you can also feed adult rabbits certain vegetables and fruit. Some fruit and vegetables you can feed adult rabbits include carrots, apples, beets, turnips, lettuce leaves, and potato peelings. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adave Strance with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adaven. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Floral bouquets are a welcome gift this time of year. The following tips can help lengthen the life of your arrangement. First, cut the stems of the bouquet as soon as you get them. Plants clot wounds much in the same way our immune systems do, so making a fresh cut will break the plug and allow water to be taken up into the stem to delay wilting. Only one to two inches should be taken off with any single cut. Additionally, the cut should be made while the stem is underwater. When the cut is made, air will rush into the stem to fill the area of lower pressure. By cutting the stem underwater, water will flow into the stem instead of air and give you a head start on prolonging the life of your arrangement. Flowers come in two forms, arrangements and loose stems. There are several additional steps to care for loose stem bouquets that you won't have to worry about if you're buying a pre-made arrangement. The most important is plant food. Typically, loose stem bouquets will come with plant food to add to the eventual container, whereas arrangements will already have the plant food added to the water of the container they're bought in. If you can't get loose stemmed bouquets into the food solution right away, store the flowers in a cool place. When it's time to put them in their new home, Follow the directions on the plant food package to make the nutrient solution. Prep the flowers by cutting the stems as described previously, and remove any leaves that will be below the water line to inhibit bacterial growth. Flowers that come as arrangements will already have this done, taking a lot of the work out of keeping your flowers healthy. Flowers that have wilted may have plugged its previous cut up again, 
and will need a new cut to draw up more water. To prevent wilting, keep the flowers in a cooler area away from ceiling fans, vents, direct sunlight, and radiators. This will reduce water loss from the flowers. Water should be replaced at least once every other day and immediately when the water becomes cloudy. If the flowers still wilt, make a fresh cut at the base of the stem to allow for the uptake of more water. Only remove one to two inches at any given time and find a shorter container if the shortened flowers will no longer fit inside. Registration for the 2021 K-State Garden Hour webinar series is now open. You can find information about the webinar series and register for these particular webinars at hnr.kstate.edu forward slash extension. The first topic of the webinar series is on February 17th from noon to 1 on planning your vegetable garden for the 2021 growing season. The next one will be on March 3rd, outlining the best plants for a beginner's landscape. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. It can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Court Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.